0: Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way
1: to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about marketing and sales, how you can get high results with marketing. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Mike Phillips. How are you? Very good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. I I often check out my feed on LinkedIn and I see your post. You are super active there. That's why I decided to ask you to get this chance to learn from you more because uh, you share a lot of value. Can you tell more about your background experience and why you decided to take this topic about marketing and sales?
0: Sure. Um, So I work as a digital brand strategist currently for a company called Rapid Response. Um, we are a technology company, we provide the human uh, back-end service to a lot of well-known technologies out there in the world, and, uh, but my career in marketing has spanned uh, agency work, it has spanned uh, consumer packaged goods, kind of B2C direct, um, but before that, my foundation in business uh, was a sales education um, that began very early on. I got a lot of sales education from my grandfather, even when I was a young child. Uh, He worked in sales his entire career, and I didn't know it, but he was imparting wisdom to me as I was growing up and how to speak to people and just understanding people, understanding the psychology, what makes them want to do things, what makes them hesitant to do things. And even though I evolved into a marketing profession, uh, my approach has always been one of understanding both sides of that coin, of understanding sales and marketing and uh, the more I learned that that was less common, the more I felt compelled to want to talk more about it. Uh, and that kind of became the topic of choice that I like to post uh, every day on LinkedIn about.
1: Yeah, yeah. And LinkedIn recognizes your job, you know, <laughs> to, to share your content. Uh, because I often see it, you know, I, I think every day, you know, when I check out my feed, uh, yeah, I see your posts. You're super active with that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, once I check out a few studies about uh, marketing and sales, it's interesting that uh, salespeople uh, don't like marketers or uh, do, uh, they, uh, it's not don't like, it's more uh, about trust. Uh, they think that marketers don't provide a good job or something like this and they can't work a cohesive team. Can you provide more insights? How to unite them? Uh, how to increase trust between salespeople and marketers?
0: You're right. That is a, a challenge. Um, there's this perception in some organizations, thankfully not everywhere, that there's this like front of the house, back of the house, that marketing is like back in a cave doing their magic behind the scenes, and then salespeople are out there, boots on the ground with customers. And there is a perception um, that I think perhaps was cultivated by some uh, old school leadership styles of more having more competition where. Um, that, they, that somehow marketing and sales have different goals. I mean, we're held accountable to different metrics, um, but at the same time, we're both trying to achieve the same goal, which is to drive revenue for our companies. And I think it begins with recognizing that we are functioning as a single team. Structurally, you may have a reporting structure of different leadership. You may have a different, like I said, in metrics. You may have even different, uh, projects that you work on, but there needs to be a perspective where the teams see themselves as one almost department, two little specialized teams uh, on one one team on uh, one larger department that's focused on just generating more opportunity for revenue. So if if marketing can bring in um, qualified, ready, eager, primed prospects, sales can do. The magic that they do to advise, to build rapport, and to bring them across the finish line. Part of the way to solve for that, I think, is being able to actually understand one another's functions, not cross training, but having empathy for the different functions, right? So I personally have worked in sales. I was an outside sales rep. I did inside sales, I did retail sales, wholesale. I did a lot of different types of sales in my career. Um, so I have that just in my. Uh, cutting my teeth in business from the very beginning of my work and my career. But not everyone has that. A lot of folks, I can speak for marketers whom I know, studied design or they studied writing, and then they learned the business later. And a lot of salespeople um, wind up also having a different background, maybe in a certain niche or a certain interest area. And they went into sales as a way of applying that interest into business. And sometimes they stay in the industry. Sometimes they go between industries. Um, so the opportunity for alignment comes from building cross department, uh, collaboration. I think that all marketers should have probably a quarterly cadence where you shadow sales calls, whether it's on phone, virtually, if you have a local territory, it'd be, you do it locally. Um, but there needs to be a sense of having your finger on the pulse of what the actual people are saying. What are the shut up and take my money moments? that salespeople have. And that's something that marketing can't really glean from all the amazing data that we can harvest now with the technology that we have, but you can for making friends with sales. Conversely, I think salespeople should have a seat at the table when it comes to developing strategies for messaging because they have insights on knowing what the actual buying rhythms are, when people are more pliable. I think them knowing and being able to accept Uh, or receive information from marketing of what it is that we're trying to accomplish strategically can help them shape their messages, makes them feel more in the loop. And that begins to break down this siloing effect where you have one team and another team and like a wall down the middle where only communications that come from the one position above it allow that to happen.
1: Yeah, valuable, love it. And, you know, uh, once I I read the study how you can unite them, uh, you can invite, uh, for example, salespeople to uh, marketing meetings and vice versa, you know, to invite uh, marketers to sales uh, meetings uh, to discuss uh, which topics you have, uh, which goals you have, and how you can unite them. Yeah, interesting approach. Uh, Okay, Um, let's talk more about um uh, sales funnel for example uh, i think uh, it's more uh, related to marketing uh, marketers create sales funnel and some stages just to create brand awareness it, it doesn't sell products uh how to take this this data uh, in which type of data you can get from sales people uh, to create your sales funnel
0: sure so part of it i think is looking for opportunities um particularly if you look at like the visual aid that is created for like an inbound model, um, where it's a flywheel, right? So it's your funnel and there's all the stages from you know, obliv- the customer being oblivious to who you are, awareness, affinity, intent, decisions and such. But if you wrap it into a circle where marketing feeds into sales, sales feeds into the customer experience, and then that feeds back into new marketing, um, it takes the same funnel, just kind of wraps it all into a circle. I, I have found that to be extremely helpful um the types of things that i look at is so a small bit of my background my foundational my college education was actually in mathematics uh, and education and, and engineering so i was a bit of a numerical nerd to begin with proudly so but um so what i look at is i look at qualitative data and i look at quantitative data right so when you talk to sales you tend to get a lot of qualitative data what is uh is the quality a positive sentiment or a negative sentiment is the quality large or small interest it's not it it, it's in relative terms uh not in numerical um data points Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not useful a lot of times you can take kind of qualitative data let's say you, you shadow 10 sales calls and you get all the sales calls customers seem to respond positively to a certain turn of phrase that the rep uses what you can do is take this qualitative data that that turn of phrase is very useful and then you can bring it into a quantitative, a numerical analysis on the marketing side of the house. So you can run that as copy doing A-B testing um, in either ads that you're running are very easy emails, can also be an effective way of testing that. And then from that test, now you have numbers data. You don't just have a small sample size that seems like everybody likes it. You can run an A-B test with 20, 30, 40, 50,000 impressions. And you can say, wow, 80% of people in a broad spectrum targeted based on our customer profiles like this messaging. That's good messaging. We should definitely adopt that more broadly. And then you can bring that back into sales and say, hey, you guys brought this to us. It works on our side too. We're going to start creating a more universal approach. Make sure all the salespeople know that that turn of phrase or that right, that way of expressing your solution works. Um, so that's kind of the what I do is you make the bridge between qualitative and quantitative analysis.
1: Yeah, cool, cool. Okay. uh, Okay. uh, When we learned, when we got this data, what's the next step? We need to uh, convert them. uh, I mean, like to create content or uh, or to set up our marketing uh, campaigns. Uh, Can you provide more insights how to uh, convert this data, how to use them? For example, I know that many companies uh, are using tools. Not bad, but, uh, you know, it's better to uh, talk to your customers and salespeople can provide more insights about your uh, buying persona (laughs) to learn from that. Can you tell more uh, how to convert data to suitable format and uh, provide this information for content creators? Because I think without content creators, you can't go ahead.
0: You're right, uh, wh- one of the big challenges, I think um, in integration, even within the marketing profession itself, is uh, how do you get that left brain, right brain connection, right? So you have the, the data-driven person, you have a creative person, and how do you combine them, right? I think part of it comes down to, at least for me, the best functional way I've described I've figured out how to do it, is to know how to sell internally on a concept, right So I mean my, my background in knowing about a little bit about selling. I mean, I'm by no no means a really good salesperson. Or I'd probably still be in sales, but at the same time, I know enough about what makes people buy into an idea and how to present things and how to be persuasive. Um, but more so, how to be educational. Uh, and I think you combine that uh, in a way, and you have to start treating internal stakeholders like customers too. So, for example, you know, we may run, uh, we may go to my, our creative team to run an ad, and we may come up with four or five different designs on something and the trick there is then i say okay let's let's run them all in a optimized uh you know dynamic creative ad we won't even we won't even pick or distinguish between them but i'm going to then see which ads perform better when you have them compete against one another which ones get the budget which ones get the results and then i provide that feedback back to this to them and i present it i say okay creative folks these are the ads that are working really well now let's analyze why we think this ad performed better in this collection you know and then they have great insights a lot of uh, folks who are trained designers they've taken classes in color theory they've taken um, classes in um, just general aesthetics and understanding what makes people attract to things maybe it was the combination of copywriting with that particular creative and together they made the profound effect And then when you have that understanding, it's about being able to combine that into a little mini story and bring it to leadership and say, okay, leadership here is what we've learned from the ad. Here's why this works better. Here's why this should be a more ubiquitous part of our advertising approach. We can show you the numbers. We can show you that we can turn those numbers back into new actions and more ads that look like them. And we can reasonably extrapolate that we'll get more results by doing more of this uh that's that's the process it really comes down to communication internally as much as it does knowing how to bridge analysis uh, and the creative approach
1: yeah cool you um, know People often ask me one question about the length of content. I can't avoid this question and I want to ask you about that. For example, uh, say, uh, marketers usually write a lot more to uh, submit many keywords, for example, for SEO or any other purposes. Uh, salespeople usually uh, uh, try to submit uh, some sales information. How to find this balance? For example, when I open Apple.com, I can see a, a few words. Not a lot, you know, just uh, amazing pictures, uh, simple pictures, amazing, uh, but a few words. But it's not good for SEO. Can you uh, tell how to find this balance between uh, uh, the lengths of text? Yeah. Sure. I mean, that's that's
0: an age-old tug of war, right? People respond... uh more impactfully to short copy. This is why, especially sales folks, they're not going to write you a love letter if if two sentences will do the job. And at the same time, SEO loves the ability to have language and to crawl a story and understand context better. Um, So when it comes to digital content, there is no right length. It really comes down to finding, creating the right content for all stages of your buyer's journey. So you should have the short, impactful copy, which by the way, short copy is harder to write than long copy anyway. Um, (laughs) It's true. And then you may spend a day writing three sentences or even three words, and you can spend an hour writing an entire page, writing 3,000. But um, I think writing the copy and having multiple pieces of content that address whatever the solution or product is at each stage of the buyer's journey is the compromise. So you should have the short impactful copy that's on apple.com's homepage. You should also have the in-depth articles that they have on Apple's newsroom blog. They do both. The customer who is browsing wants the short copy to determine whether they have any interest or any affinity at all for what it is that you do. That copy is serving its job. You should also have the long copy to be able to rank well for SEO elsewhere, maybe talking about the same topic, uh, maybe talking to the same ideal customer profile, but a different format. And then that can be crawled. And then you can use a blog or a longer service detail page, um, a read more section that can link back to the shorter copy that has better conversion for people who might be further along where they don't need you to talk at them so much, they're ready to buy. So having the writing and the content for each stage of the journey is what I see works best.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, when I check out your LinkedIn profile, I found that you have experience with branding. Can you tell how to unite branding, sales, and marketing in one cohesive goal? Because I think uh, brand branding managers want to get uh, or create brand awareness. Uh, sales want to sell right now? I don't know. Marketers want to uh, combine all of them. yeah, provide your insights, how to unite them. Sure. And, and you're right. In, in many ways, uh, it, most obviously, a
0: lot of times those different areas compete for budget within the company, but they also seem to compete for atten- attention and bandwidth and priority level. Um, and I, I think one of the main things to understand about brand, Regardless of what department you're in, is that when you work for a company, a brand becomes a distributed identity. It's something that everybody who works for the company takes on. You know i I work for rapid response, and then the way I present myself and the things that I speak about reflect on the company. the comp what things the company does reflect on me. It's an alliance of my personal brand and the and the and the corporate brand. Um, I think that responsibility that each person bears, actually can be the uniting force. So when you look, uh, one of the main ways, especially in modern selling that people are doing now, is utilizing social selling. Having sales reps build a personal brand on LinkedIn, on other platforms, and not be mouthpieces of the company, but be their own professional brand, be their own uh, person, a authority whom is interesting, subscribing to, following, and making sure that you actually get to see and learn more from them. That level of empowerment starts to put that brand building psychology in the heads of executives, in the heads of salespeople, and then it's already kind of there for many marketers. And when you have each person starting to focus on what it takes to build a brand or to build a a narrative around themselves, it reduces confusion and I think increases the level of connections that people can draw between what each department's functions are. Um, It's something that I've advocated for a lot in the work that I've done, that we can connect um, salespeople to having their own brand, having resources, the knowledge, the training, the tools to be able to do that, and then seeing them um, and helping them produce tangible sales results from it. Once accounting sees that sales is producing results from this activity, they know the ROI is good there's no more any confusion or level of competition they see that it's truly just all different uh different pieces of the same machine That if you remove any one cog it just doesn't run as well
1: yeah valuable valuable uh okay uh can you tell how to create a buy persona for example um, if a software as a service company uh has clients women men Adult, uh, young, how to find your buying persona because sometimes it's hard. For example, uh, Tim Solo from HRFs uh, shares that uh, HRFs can't find buying persona because yeah, the audience is so broad. Can you tell your insights about that? Because I think uh, buying persona is uh, essential for uh, paper key campaigns, not for organic reach
0: it really is a very important piece to help align the departments between sales marketing and customer success it's also just important uh within marketing to have any level of of brand building success you have to know whom your audience is so it it changes form a little bit depending on the maturity level of the organization if you're a startup versus a mid-market enterprise um chances are you haven't gotten to mid-market enterprise without knowing your ideal customer Um, but some companies do very well without having a real explicit understanding of it, Um, especially companies that were founded as sales-led organizations. If you do enough call volume with enough cold prospecting, you can grow a company. Um, It might not be efficient, but it may have worked very well to found a company and to scale it in the early stages of scaling. Um, So the way I look at this is for early companies, um, when you launch, you'll tend to have either before you launch a product, you'll have built an initial community, I hope. Uh, usually that's built around the personal charisma and personal brand of the founders. They'll have a network of people who know them and that creates a knit, co- close-knit group of champions. Those become people that you will immediately offer products to. You may beta test at a discount. You may offer free trials. You, you may be able to chance to start showing stuff to them and getting through a sales function, the type of feedback on, this feels right, this feels wrong. Okay. And now I'm seeing everybody who says it feels right has these characteristics in common. People who say it feels wrong have that characteristic in common, especially when you have a very broad offering. Um, but, and then that, that that kind of perseveres a little bit as you move up market in, in size. The larger you get, generally, you, you won't necessarily broaden the niche, but you may have more applications uh, of what it is that you're offering, whether it's a product or a B2B service. And as you go wider, you still need to have an intimate understanding. You may have, you know, instead of one customer profile at startup, you may have five, you may have that many. But um, the process is similar. You need to be able to have um, that qualitative data I mentioned earlier. You go intimately in on these conversations with people. And I think it's underutilized for marketing to not pull from sales, their direct boots on the ground experience of, I have shook hands with people um, and I have felt them be awkward while I've talked to them because they're really not having this. This is not a good fit for them. But then I mentioned or gave me a referral of someone who was, and that's an off the wall solution. We're not even trying to court right now. And if you see that start happening qualitatively, you can then test it and then you can start building out, okay, our ads respond to similar demographics. Our uh, search traffic analytics are showing similar, tra- similar trend lines. Um, So those are the ways that you can, I think, pull the type of intimate understanding that you only get from a deep relationship that usually sales has first. And then the refining of that is you you establish it through data, but then you refine it by bringing that through into the kind of customer success side. So this is either your customer support, uh, customer success or, or onboarding and overall like your uh, concierge customer service that goes while they are after the sale, but still a customer. And they're a great and undertapped resource for knowledge for you to say, okay, this person is archetype A and they should have these concerns. And we want to make sure we address those in the handoff from sales. And we want to make sure that that's the number one um, uh, positive value that they get out of their onboarding. And so they will renew or they will buy again from us. And they may give you feedback and say, yeah, that worked great but I'm hearing from these, I'm solving a problem. I'm getting questions on a product or on a service continuously that, um, if we could address that earlier on in the process, either in the marketing or the sales process may result in a better overall, uh, funnel speed and better deals and better customer loyalty, better stickiness over time. So that's the way I would look at it is it's an opportunity to originate from sales. Um, test it through marketing data so that now we have numbers originating in marketing and then refining it through customer success so that we wind up having new insights coming through them and that can lead back to new sales and that's again the flywheel kind of that round circular self-feeding approach um, to what I thought the revenue engine. Mm
1: Yeah. Valuable, valuable. Okay. Uh, let's talk about LinkedIn. Um, uh, you post content uh, and I know uh, people on social media, um, have no buying mood they don't want to buy they want to cooperate with someone else but on LinkedIn we have b2b segment can you tell how to change the mood Uh, for example i remember when neil patel shares uh, that uh, you need to start from uh, their mood and you can change it uh, with the long content uh, to provide more insights for example to invite them to free webinars, uh, downloads, and something like this. Can you uh, tell from your experience, for example, if your audience um, uh, has no buy mode, how to tell them that you it's better to pay time? Uh, know, to buy your products. Yeah,
0: sure. It's it's very important because you're right. A lot of people most people are not in market at any given time. Like, oh, maybe maybe 10% of people, if you're lucky, that you encounter will be in market at any given time. And that's the benefit of building a strong brand is because you start thinking about audience management, right? So it's about, um, an audience is a great metaphor for it. It's Like imagine being a performing artist, right? Let's say you're a musician on stage and you are looking to um, you put energy, you put uh, music out there, the audience gets excited, they're they're engaged, they feel it, and they feed the energy back to you, and then you have this two-way exchange. Um, that's a great way to just build up a buzz for a brand, but you want to make sure that you provide opportunities for all stages of the buyer's journey to be able to take the next step in the funnel, too. So... For example, and this is, it's challenging when you think of it at scale, right? We always tend to come back to how do I get person A to move to step two in the process of sales? And with marketing, we have to think of it at scale. How do I get archetype A, which may have 30,000, 50,000, 800 million people? You you may have a lot of people in that archetype, but simultaneously, all the people in that archetype may all be at a different stage in a buyer journey, and they may be only one of five customer archetypes. So you have to provide simultaneously all different pieces of content that allow or provide for or more accurately attract people to move forward into the next step. So I provide the metaphor a lot of times. So like in sales interviews, a lot of times, at least old school, traditional sales interviews, there's a question of, are you a hunter or a farmer? And this was meant to gauge your psychology, how aggressive you are, what's your approach to harvesting, to getting new business. And you know, a hunter will go out and they will pursue a target, they will be uh, dedicated and relentless and they will be able to handle rejection and failure. And there's a lot of merit to that psychology. Um, the farmer does more of an attraction nurturing approach where what you plant this year may not yield crop for several years. And you kind of need to be able to provide both mentalities. Uh, On LinkedIn specifically, one of the best things to do is to be able to, as an individual profile, so this works for sales reps for companies as much as it does just for independent agencies, utilize like your featured content area to have different elements for different people at different stages of the buying journey. On a business page on LinkedIn, you can use the uh, button to not just be visit our website or contact us, but rotate it seasonally based on different uh, points of the buyer journey that links to different types of landing pages or different service pages, or just general awareness content. Um, So on the individual profile, the way this works is you may have a, you know, book an appointment with me right now would be what a sales rep would have. That's for somebody who you've attracted them to the end of the buyer journey. You may have a feature discussion, or maybe it's a video clip of being on a podcast interview like this, And you can feature this content so you're like, people already know who I am, but I want them to really like the way I do business, to build that deeper level of affinity. And maybe when they do, then they can start to explore through what you say in that, do I have an actual awareness of my problem and an intent to solve it? Um, And then you can just have your general posting that you provide every day to make sure that you're continuing to put yourself in front of enough eyes, that you have enough uh, awareness generated. And that, and that's generally the approach is it's about creating this collage, creating a mix of content that serves all different stages of the buyer journey at the same time. Not everything should sell. Everybody knows if you try to just sell every time you're going to get ignored and maybe ostracized, you may even have a negative impact, let alone a neutral impact. Um, but I think also if you don't mix in opportunities to, to harvest, you're, it's like growing crops, but never going out and picking anything. So there's got, you have to have a, a proper mix of it. And a lot of that you learn through experimentation of what works for your particular audience.
1: Yeah. I like your examples. And you know, uh, uh, by the way, about uh, different types of content, uh, from my experience, I think it's better to create content that you like to create. <laughs> For example, uh, I often check out some studies that uh, video provides high kind of engagement, or uh, I don't know, or uh, long content, uh, uh, writing content can provide high engagement or live stream. But, you know, if you don't like this content, if you can't create it, it's better to avoid it and uh, pay attention with something that works for you. For example, uh, I failed many times with many different types of content because uh, I didn't like this content, you know. (laughs) And, uh, for example, uh, common marketing or uh, guys proclaim you need to find where your audience is. But, you know, I think... uh, Your audience can be on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Instagram, everywhere. It's up to you. It's better to enjoy time. Uh, By the way, tell why you uh, choose LinkedIn, not uh, other social media platforms, or you repurpose content with different platforms.
0: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. When it comes to the tips and types of content, the right type of content is the content that you are most enthusiastic about because you can't fake it. Uh, unless you're an actor, in which case that's your job, I guess, to present things that way. But for me, you know, you have to be able to do th- in a medium that you are passionate about, number one. And then two, you want to write, speak, record, create the things that you wish you saw ma- more of in the world. And if you can do that, um, you'll never be at a lack for content. And that's 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 not just strategy, which is good to never run out of content. It's just, it's good balance. It's good wellness, right? So if you're going to be out there creating stuff all day and exposing yourself to potential rejection continuously, it has to be something that you, you that fuels you. Um just by the nature of what the creative process is. So that's when it comes to content. Now, as for like why I chose LinkedIn, you know, I everybody is everywhere, right? Is what it seems like, you know, every every, every customer, you know, oh, our B2B customers are not on Pinterest or not, are not on Instagram or not on Facebook. No, they're there you just, you know, you got to know how to reach them there when it comes to the marketing approach and how to, uh, you know, buy for their attention when they're in a, you know, sharing a cat meme mindset versus vetting a B2B solution demo. Um, Why I chose LinkedIn for my personal brand building is just because I really, I've always been interested in this, this human psychology approach to business, right? So people having to buy into you as an individual before they're going to buy anything that you're selling. And I found that the opportunity to write content every day, um, was exceptionally helpful for me to, to find my voice and the way I wanted to articulate the things that I felt on the inside, but how to communicate them um, in an impactful way. And I think what's kept me around and what kind of brought me from passive consumption to occasional posting to, Really going all in on a daily content piece, a content commitment, was just the the depth of insight and what felt to be real genuine attention um, that my ideas would garner. So you know I've I've been on the other platforms too. I'm not as active on the others. In fact, I would say I am nowhere near as active on the others as I am on LinkedIn. That's not a permanent idea, but it's for now. I wanted to make sure I could invest my energies in a very focused way to deliver quality. And when you post something and people, you know, respectfully, either they'll disagree and then, sorry, will disagree and then add nuance to that argument, or they will agree and um, provide new perspectives that you didn't have before. Um, sometimes they'll even, they'll disagree, they'll provide a new perspective and you may have to defend and not in an aggressive way, but just kind of academically spar um, a little bit on it. Makes. I think for not just great content, but it also is extremely educational. It gives you the opportunity to to hone your voice. Once once you find your voice, you have to be able to hone your arguments. You can sharpen the way you would articulate things. Um, either And it's not usually defensively. Most people on LinkedIn are very collaborative. You know, the old joke of, oh, agree. And that's what most people will comment is just they agree. But I, I, I found that I have bonded with, made friends with, and connected with some very Genuine people who had either genuine questions or genuinely provided new ways for me to think about things uh, that that have been a more profound level of like a worldly education uh, than I ever would have gotten in another platform. I think the, a lot of that, from LinkedIn's perspective, is due to the nature of the format that you're able to engage. The whole platform's focused around developing conversations. The comments are allowed to be longer. That you don't have to um, You you can provide images in your comments that you can easily transition to a private messaging format um, and continue maybe more, more candidly with someone on a private forum. And I have found that to just be the most impactful. And it's what keeps me coming back because, you know, I have been educated and I've learned more about my profession, about business in general there than I ever did in a university course. And a lot of it is just by almost having access to thousands and thousands of of mentors and like journeymen or apprentice kind of dynamic where people will, uh, will share unique ways of expressing things in my field and in other fields. And th- that's invaluable. And so, yes, I, when you choose a platform, it's got to fuel you, like I said. And, and so I, it's a little selfish that I chose LinkedIn because it does fuel me very much. But I have been pleasantly surprised that the ideas that have been inspired for me. Sometimes a comment I'll make on somebody else's post becomes a post that I flesh out for myself. Um, It has just been an opportunity to not just build a brand for the sake of having a brand or having a following to say, I've got a big following, but to be able to advance new ways of approaching problems and to break out of a rut that sometimes within a company, we may get Uh, steeped in a culture or in one way of solving a problem or being in a small group. uh, You may all eventually be uh, thinking all the same way. And I think having that wall of the office, uh, metaphorically speaking, opened up to a world of professionals uh, is invaluable, especially in any revenue generating role like marketing.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, you know, uh, especially when you mentioned about to be yourself you know uh, because i often see even uh, when i started my linkedin journey uh, i read uh, a few um, guides uh, tutorials how you can win uh, engagement on linkedin and i found uh, they recommend what everyone does you know. and uh, right. i started to post the same content i started to copy others and i couldn't get any results but when uh, i avoided it i decided to find my way you know to be myself to right. post what i like more and uh, uh, by the way can you share uh, where you find ideas for your posts uh from your experience from uh, learning from others or any other type uh, because you know I, I, my audience often ask me how to find ideas to post uh, a few times a day it's hard uh, i don't it know is. for me Yeah, but you know, for me, it's not hard. I can tell you. Uh, For me, it's hard to find time to post uh, all ideas that I have.
0: (laughs) I would agree with that comment. I think events, at first, it feels hard. And then after a while, the hardest part is having the time to flesh all the ideas out, right? So for me, my inspiration, it it comes from, from so many places, but it starts with, I want to create the conversations and the content that I wish I saw more of in the world. And then the inspiration for how to do that just comes from um, being open to seeing unique connections that are like interdisciplinary. So even like this is where like my passion for connecting sales and marketing came from, but also I look outside of the world of work. So I am a weightlifter. This is my hobby. I used to compete, um, but it's mostly a lifestyle of fitness for me right now. And there is a huge amount of growth psychology and self-motivation and understanding what it takes for someone to persevere through discomfort, how much you're willing to do, and then strategically what it takes to continue growth um, in the face of uh, becoming conditioned or used to something. And and I see connections between that part of my life and marketing, and I oftentimes write about them both. I, Right, I tag most of my posts under marketing muscle, uh, the hashtag, because that's my way of showing the connection that I have between the two, the two interests. And the processes that I go through, you know, I will pull um, a comment that I make on other businesses or other uh, personal brands, posts, other people's posts, I'll comment on something. And if people react well to it, or if it generates a conversation that I generate new learning from, I'll take the two sentence or three sentence comment, and then that becomes a 2,000, 3,000 word post that I write. Uh, Sometimes I'll take a post that I wrote that maybe didn't perform as well as others that I've written. And I'll try just speaking about it as a video. And I'll just try speaking directly into it. And you build a bit of a, you build the connections in the web between different opportunities. You know, I will share you know stories of my personal growth in the gym i will share uh comments that i make on others i will do videos at insights um i think the important thing is it's good to niche but it's important to be authentically you and i don't think all of us are single dimensional people some of us are very comfortable doing that and i'm not here to slight that approach but i think that many of us are our whole people in that we have interests beyond just the one profession that we work in And being able to bring that into your your LinkedIn uh, posting and being able to draw the connections for people, illustrate why it makes sense that a weightlifter likes marketing, who studied math, who also knows how to play the saxophone, who has all these random things that don't seem like they make sense, just spell it out for them. And that's the opportunity, I think, when you get to that point that you then, you're not running out of things to say, you're running out of time to say them. And that's when, you know, you can start diversifying and branching out and, and repurposing content more. Um, but start with finding the media type and the platform that speaks most to you. And really just just start. The first step is to just start. Yell into the void and let nobody hear you. And mess up in that early stage when nobody is there to see you mess up. And then just learn and iterate and find your your voice, your way of articulating the things that you care about, and then just start refining it. Flesh out the nuance, welcome feedback that might challenge you. um, And then you can maybe gain new insight. You can then explain and document that journey of you learning. Documenting your journey is the best strategy I can recommend for new creators out there because it's easy. You're already doing it. You're already growing. Um, Just start there. And as long as you start, sometimes you just got to put down the strategy document and start typing
1: and go from there. Yeah, love it. Love it. Okay, I have the last question about uh, predictions in 2022. Uh what techniques will work in 2022 and uh, which techniques it's better to avoid from your experience?
0: Sure, I mean as far as you know looking at at, at marketing and and just revenue generation in general, um all of society, regardless of where you are in the world, have gone through a period of reflection, right? And we, we've had this, this pandemic that that the, has affected this human race, for once, all of us have had some level of it touch us. Um, it, and I think it's kind of tantamount to the type of global event like uh, space travel or other things like that, that maybe shifted paradigms. So it changed our perspectives on the way we live and the way we view ourselves. So. What I think that's doing is it's, it's changing the norms of work, and it changes the norms of the way people buy and consume and can think about their personal economies and also the business decisions they make as a whole. I think recognizing that change is important. I think seeing it as an opportunity for um, being able to realign. And I, I think capitalizing on that comes down to a couple of key things. So. Connecting your sales and marketing departments is so important. I think if you continue to operate in a siloed approach in 2022, you're going to be missing out on revenue. You're going to um, leave opportunities. You're either going to waste a huge amount of resource on trying to have your sales team generate demand, or you're going to have uh, extremely uh, long sales cycles while marketing just chugs along through endless experiments to get the feedback that they could just walk to the other side of the room and ask for. So I think that's, that's if you wanna think about being nimble, which if we haven't learned anything else, it's that business needs to be nimble, especially uh, in light of all the things we've learned with the pandemic. Um, that alignment is, is one of the most important things. The second one is to recognize that uh, I mean, as proud as we are of the things we create in marketing, and as proud as we are of the way we represent our brands as salespeople, nobody cares about you. And especially in light of the pandemic, People have realigned their priorities now. I think people are looking deeper into themselves, where they want to work, who they want to do business with, what's valuable and what's not. Um, and it it just ups the intensity of competition for how you create content and how you create uh, your relationships with with prospects. Uh, you got to be that much more competitive because now people are not just weighing, oh, I'm in my work mindset. I'm just going to be comfortable in this job and I'm going to think about is provider A or provider B useful for me? They're thinking about is this even worth my bandwidth to think about this question anymore? They've gone that, they've gone existential. Now. They've gotten that much bigger. So to draw people in has to be that much more compelling. And I know business people, we tend to say, oh, well, we're just cold, ruthless, logic, individual, you know, logic driven individuals. But in the end, humanity—we are emotional creatures that make emotional decisions, and so we have to be able to see that, recognize it, and then harness those emotions to be able to draw out the desired outcomes that we want in business. So, align your sales and marketing department, and then recognize the reality of the world we're in now, um, and start appealing to people at that holistic level of saying, "Yeah, things are tough. Things things have been, things have changed, um, and being able to break through the noise and not just have business communication feel like business but have it feel like regular communication between people
1: yeah a big pleasure mike for your time you know you share a lot of tips i'm going to use them i need to share this episode with my team as well <laughs> uh, and uh, the last question so people can learn more about you reach out to you follow you
0: sure yeah i like i said linkedin i'm i am uh, all in on linkedin best way to find me is to look for mike phillips on linkedin i put my uh, name in the video here with, uh, I'm the one with the emoji of a muscle on the saxophone because there's a lot of Mike Phillips in the world. So I try to distinguish myself that way. And to follow my content, it's hashtag marketing muscle. Uh, I tag all of my posts with that. And it's a great way to kind of break the algorithm a little bit. If you follow that and me, you'll be more likely to see my posts in your feed. So please do that.
1: Okay, guys, you can find all these links, uh, LinkedIn profile and website uh, of my uh, in, the comment, ...in the description below. Listen to us on Google, Apple, Spotify. Thanks a lot for your time. By the way, uh, when I open your profile, I often see your emojis, you know, <laughs> it connects with your name. <laughs> there, there, it's a little bit of branding. Okay, thanks a lot for watching and listening to us.
0: Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use.